Every time I try to make it on mine Every time I try to stand start to fall And all those lonely roads that I traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground when the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now Well, there was Jesus In the way, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces that song we need those reminders don't we that Jesus is there if you would be turning to page uh, 1343 of Ephesians chapter 1 
we will be reading starting in Ephesians 1 15 we need to remember uh, Deborah is not feeling well and uh, Linda is not feeling well today remember them in prayer and uh, Raul Jr. is still fighting still battling so remember him as well and then we have a number that are out traveling so we'll keep them in our prayers reading from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come let's pray father we do thank you for jesus we thank you for uh, the reminders that we so much need Lord, we lift up right now those that are not able to be with us, and we beg of you your mercies, Lord. We beg that you would show them and remind them that you are right there present with us through all of life, through every day, every walk that we have. And we're grateful, Father. We're thankful. Bless this morning, Lord. We gather to give you praise and give you uh, worship, to give you all the glory, Father. <clears throat> Bless each, uh, each person in this, in this building, each room, Father, and bless uh, those that will be speaking, and let it all come together, Father, to give you a smile on your face and to give you praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, good morning. It is awesome to be with y'all today. We are going to begin in Philippians chapter 2. So if you would turn there with me, uh, Philippians chapter 2 on page 1350. So if you are one who likes a title, if it helps you to have a frame of reference, today's message is titled, Worry or Concern? Worry or Concern? For a few weeks now, we have been studying in, in Philippians, and we've been studying about this radical spiritual mindset. Um, essentially what Paul is asking us is to put others above ourselves. And he begins this line of thinking in chapter 1 and verse 27 to say that the only way that we're to act or to live is in a manner consistent with Jesus' message, which is a pretty tall order. That the only way that we're to conduct ourselves, that we're to act, that we're to think, that we're to do, is consistent with Jesus' ministry, with the way that Jesus taught and the way that Jesus ministered and the way that, that Jesus spoke. And so Paul gives this series of explanations and examples to us to rule out any exceptions that might come to mind. So if we have any any inclination to say, yeah, but what if this? In this situation, is it okay? Or that situation? Or what if this happens in my life? Paul gives these examples to say there are no what ifs. There are no buts about it. If we are in Christ, we are to follow his example. His point is that Jesus' mindset is to be completely in us meaning that worldly opinions, cultural norms, family dynamics are to have no authority in how we live as a new creation in Christ. In fact, Deborah taught us this last week that we are to be joined together with Christ in such a way that he is actually working in us to continually bring about our salvation and his purpose for us. One of the things she said last week that was so powerful is that Jesus' desire and salvation is not just that we will have a home in heaven one day, but that he is rescuing us from danger. That's the Lord's desire, is that he is continually rescuing us from danger so that we may fulfill his purpose. So today we're going to read how Paul concludes this segment on this Christ-like mindset. Now, Paul is not one to give fluffy speeches or to unnecessarily pat anyone on the back. But while what Paul does want to do is recognize spirit-led qualities that we should grab a hold of. So we'll read together in chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So read along with me. Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. 
for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that a son, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him to you, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So essentially, what Paul's doing in this passage is expressing his appreciation for these two men, for Timothy and Epaphroditus. He explains that these guys are living in a manner worthy of the gospel, that they are fulfilling all of these things that he has outlined not looking out for their own interests, but for the interests of others. So first, Paul mentions Timothy, and he says that Timothy is not going to come to Philippi to minister to them, but that he is going to stay with him for a little while longer, and eventually he'll come. Now, you'll remember that Timothy is, is one that we talked about several weeks ago. He is one of Paul's um, really best friends, I think. Um, if Paul was using our language, he'd say he was his bestie. He is his best friend, his, uh, one of his most trusted co-laborers in Christ. And Timothy had traveled around with Paul. He had helped him start several churches, and among them, this church in Philippi. So it makes sense that since Paul is in prison, the Philippians might want Paul to send Timothy to them, especially to help with this dispute that's happening between Euodia and Sintichi. But Paul says, nevertheless, he'll come later, but not now. But what Paul is saying is that Epaphroditus obviously is there. And Epaphroditus, you remember, is the one that they had, they had commissioned to go to Paul, to take some money and to support Paul, uh, not just financially, but just spiritually and emotionally. And um, along the way, Epaphroditus became violently ill almost to the point of death. So Paul says, Epaphroditus, I'm sending back to you. Not Timothy, but Epaphroditus. Um, and, and Paul wants it to be made known that, that Epaphroditus, different from Timothy, but like Timothy, has given of himself almost unto death. And that he should essentially receive a hero's welcome, should be received in the Lord um, and as one to be esteemed for, for his behavior. So this is the context for what we're, we're going to study today. Uh, it's important to, to kind of understand um, why Paul is 
mentioning Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's a lot of good things going on here, but the Lord has led me to a few specific things for us to look at with Timothy Timothy specifically. So let's read in verse 20 again um, what we've already read. Paul says, for I have no one like-minded. This is the same wording that we read a few weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 2. So Paul is saying that he and Timothy are of the same mind. Paul says that he has no one like-minded to say that really of all the people Paul is ministering with, I don't know that he's singling out anyone else um, in this same way. He says, you know, I know a lot of believers. I know a lot of ministers. I know a lot of apostles. I know a lot of people. But there's really no one quite like Timothy. He has this mindset that I've been suggesting to you. He's saying that they're on the same spiritual wavelength. And Paul says, because of this, in verse 20, Timothy, who will sincerely care for your state. He's describing that eventually Timothy will come to them and that he's so confident of the character of Timothy that in his place, he knows that he will care for them completely for what is best for them. Now, even with a straightforward understanding, we see that that Paul is distinguishing this type of care that he's confident that Timothy would offer opposed to just what others might give. He qualifies what he means in verse 21 to say, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I don't think that that Paul is, is using kind of a, a manipulative tone here at all to point fingers at any in the church in Philippi to say, this is what Timothy's doing. Are you doing this? But in his words, he's inviting us to have no other kind of mindset but this. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Literally, he, he puts out for us two options, and he says, there are those who seek their own desires, and there are those who seek the things of Christ. But he says, all seek their own desires, and none seek the things of Christ. I think at the very least when we hear this, we should ask ourselves, are the things we think we're truly seeking really the things of Christ? Because if Paul says none, I don't think that he means to say there is no one aside from he and Timothy. But to say the vast majority are really out for themselves and not out for the things that spiritually matter. Back in verse 20, he says this this great phrase, he says, who will sincerely care for your state. Other translations are similar, but, but say pretty much the same thing. 
Who will show genuine concern for your welfare? Who will genuinely care for your needs? And this is kind of a, a, a wonky phrase because it, it's difficult to describe what Paul is, is truly getting at here in the Greek. The most important word in this statement revolves around the idea of care or welfare. This Greek word is meri monao. And if you were to look up this word, its meaning would be confusing because it means to be over-anxious or to be distracted. And very infrequently, it can be used to mean to care for. So even if we look up this word, the, the meanings of it are, are, are very different, aren't they? To be anxious, to be distracted, or to care for. And this word is, is very figurative. It, it means a part as opposed to a whole. You can think of the statement, to go to pieces. Maybe you've heard someone say in a moment of despair or um, anxiety, I'm just going to pieces. And that's exactly the idea that this word conveys. So I want you to hold your place here in this passage if you could, because we're going to flip back here between here and Matthew 6. So if you turn next to Matthew chapter 6 on page 1117. Matthew chapter 6 on page 1117. In Matthew 6 is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And right in the middle of all these, these things that Jesus is sharing, these teachings that he is undoing and filling up, Jesus tells those around him not to worry. Let's read together in verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they, excuse me, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, which, which today is and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
So this word worry that Jesus uses six times here in this passage is the same word used positively by Paul to describe the level of care that Timothy will have for them. That's pretty bizarre, isn't it? This word over here that Jesus is using to describe how one would be pulled apart almost in their inward parts, to be in despair, in anxiety, in depression, confused and frustrated. Jesus says you're to have no part in this. And yet over here in Philippians, Paul uses this exact same word to say, this is the mindset that we're to have. Few have it. Instead, they focus on what they want and not the things of Christ. Now, we could simply, um, we could simply say, well, there's just a different context here. Surely there is a different meaning. These are not really meaning the same thing. But the Lord's given me some understanding here. There are two important things that we've got to look at with what Jesus is saying about worry. The first is that he focuses on you. On you and you and you and me and them. And each time Jesus describes this worry, it revolves around the individual. He says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body nor about what you will put on. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? So when Jesus uses this word worry, he he uses it in a way to say, we cannot do this. We cannot make things about ourselves because we cannot change these things. The other thing is that when Jesus uses this worry, his focus is on physical things, on earthly things, on material things, not spiritual things. What to eat, what to drink, and what to wear are about as physical and as material a thing as one could focus on. If Jesus were speaking to us today, he might say, don't worry about where you'll live what house you're in. Don't worry about your job and where you'll work, and certainly don't worry about where you're going to eat after church today. Jesus' point is that these things should not consume your mind. These types of things should not pull your insides out. In verse 30, Jesus connects these things these types of anxious concerns to a lack of faith. Is it verse 30? O oh, you of little faith. Jesus says to focus on these things, to be consumed with these things, to be divided over things like this mean we have a lack of faith in him. To say that we must trust the Lord for the things that the Spirit full well knows that we need. 
it, it, it seems both grand and foolish at the same time that Jesus would bring up the birds of the air and the grass of the field, the lilies of the field to explain our value to him. I thought about how frequently I ask Rebecca, what is for dinner? I'm not sure if this has ever taken place in your household that maybe you've asked your spouse what is for dinner. For 15 years nearly, Rebecca has been making dinner. And every night there is something to eat. And she's an amazing cook and she makes a great meal. And um, whether it is reheating great leftovers that were made before or making a new meal from scratch, there's been a meal in our home every night. And somehow it hadn't really occurred to me until just this week that in asking what's for dinner, I'm worrying. I'm expressing a lack of trust that what is among Rebecca's top priorities in our, our marriage and our home to provide dinner. Now, in my mind, I might just be wondering what it's going to be. Can I prepare my taste buds? You know, uh, am I going to have a tea or a water? What's going to go better with it? I, I don't know what I'm thinking when I ask this question, but what I convey to her in some way is that I'm worried she's not going to provide something, right? And it seems so simple, but if you've ever been uh, the spouse wondering what's for dinner, surely you can understand. And if you've been the one who's responsible for making dinner, you can understand the frustration that might be felt in that curiosity. It's as silly as us worrying about where we're going to live, what we're going to eat, what clothes we're going to wear, when the Lord has designed and created a world that is to function according to the way he wants it to. Where there's a circle of life and food is provided. And far more than that, that he has plans for each and every one of us. But they're not going to be achieved by us being concerned with what the Lord is up to for, for our purpose. Jesus says in verse 32 that if we're concerned about these material things, not trusting, how different are we than the Gentiles? Those in the world who have no Lord. If we're worried about these things, what distinguishes us from those without a Savior? Because our Savior has overcome the grave. He has risen for God's purpose. And God's purpose is so much more grand than what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Jesus' answer to this is in verse 33 to say, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This seems so simple, doesn't it? Sure, just seek first the kingdom of God and put every other thought and decision out. 
what Jesus is saying is to focus on the spiritual things instead of the physical. If we focus on the spiritual things, if we focus on the Lord's purpose, these things will be added unto you. Now, this scripture, I think, can be misunderstood and mistaught to suggest that all the things that we want are just going to be added unto us. I don't really believe that's what Jesus is saying, but to say that God knows what we need, and he'll provide what we need, but what the Lord knows we truly need is probably different than what we think if we are according to the flesh. Turn back with me to Philippians chapter 2 on page 1350. Philippians chapter 2, page 1350. I believe that, that here in this passage and talking about Timothy, Paul is literally referencing Jesus' worry passage. In verse 21 and 22, uh, 20 and 21, let's read again. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. He's saying that people don't do what Jesus warned against, do they? He uses this very word for worry. Now, we don't see worry here. We read our English Bibles that, that, that say it a little bit differently. But what they would have heard was what we hear for worry. And he brings in the idea of seeking our own things instead of what Christ has for us. Isn't that what Jesus' answer was for worry. Instead of this, you're to do this. You are to seek not your own desire, but mine. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, don't worry because this is what Gentiles do. He said, trust me and seek first the kingdom of God. So while Paul, while Paul is pointing out that most don't do this, right? Even most that he knows, even most of believers that he knows, most teachers he knows, most apostles he knows, most don't do this. So what should that say to us? That even if we think we're doing this, we've got to spiritually ask the Lord. He says Timothy does. And Paul does something amazing. He uses this word that I think we would use with a negative connotation, right? And we should. Jesus uses this word worry in a negative way. And I believe that Paul explains the, the intended nature of this word Mary Manao. And I say that because when we say worry, we're, we're thinking of other things. But Paul uses this word to say spiritual concern. And it's true that this word in one context has one meaning, and in another, it's another. It's not just different because Jesus says it or Paul says it. It's different because Jesus takes this word and applies it to us and our ways, and it means worry. Paul takes this word and says, if it is applied spiritually to the Lord's purpose, then it is spiritual concern. 
Paul doesn't seem to need to give some grand theology liberating us from the perils of worry or anxiety, right? He doesn't need to say, okay, I know everyone has known this word means this, but. Instead, he tells us what God has intended. He doesn't say, let me tell you about this word, about worry and concern and how you can use it for good, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, this is a Gentile word, and if you're thinking about clothing and food, that's bad. But as long as you're thinking about friends in a good way, right? Like, I hope Adam gets the right job and be consumed with it, that it's okay. That's not what he does. That's what many in the church want to do. They want to take something that has been a useful tool by the enemy and put their own spin on it and make it okay. There is no bit of worry that is okay. Instead, Paul explains that we were never meant to be concerned with ourselves. Never. Never. Instead, seeking the spiritual things of the Lord. That's our concern. And in this case, he's describing Timothy to say that since Timothy is seeking the spiritual things of the Lord, that he can apply this word, that he can spiritually be concerned and care for others. And because of this, this word doesn't mean anything like we think it means. Timothy's concern is not just whether that, you know, Udia and Sintichi can shake hands and walk it off. It's that God's spirit would restore the destruction the enemy has stolen. That Timothy, when he comes, he will go in there and he will say, no more of the enemy bringing this destruction. That he can be concerned far more with their spiritual welfare than just his physical opinion. Or their physical opinion. Paul's point is not to dissect worry. When and if we're ever allowed to be concerned for ourselves, right? He doesn't say, well, in certain times it's okay to be concerned about these things for yourself. No, his point is that we are to be spiritually concerned for others. If there's a little rumble in your stomach right now and you're, you're wanting to say, yeah, but what if in this situation? The answer is no. See, there can't be any division inside of us with what we're concerned about. None whatsoever. This is a pretty challenging place. What the Lord has helped me to understand in this, in this idea of concern is exactly what Deborah has been teaching us. That there are two influences that we are to choose from. On Friday nights, Deborah has been lining out what, what has always been true, but is a new understanding for us. And that is that we can, we can choose the spirits of the enemy of Satan. Or we can choose the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and God our Father. 
There is no gray area. There is no middle ground. We are to choose one or another. And if we don't realize what we've chosen, it's likely that we have aligned with the spirits of the enemy. If we choose to be influenced by the spirits of the enemy, then we choose worry. If we choose worry, the result of this is selfishness. Because we're robbing from God and we're making things about ourselves. And this is a spirit. A spirit that is from the enemy. If we choose, on the other hand, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, then then we can genuinely be concerned with the spiritual welfare of others. If we choose the spiritual welfare of others, the result of this is selflessness. Selflessness is the spiritually enabled action that Paul's been describing for the last two chapters. Do we see the difference? Worry is out of alignment with God's ways, period. Whether it's for ourselves or for others, worry is evil. It will bring no fruit, and worse, we're aligning with the enemy's influence. Worry is a spirit that produces another spirit. It produces this place of selfishness. And that seems so right to be worried about others, doesn't it? It seems like the opposite of selfishness. But that's defined according to our terms. Because worry divides us from the Spirit of God. And it makes things about what we want, even for others or in others. Concern, on the other hand, Spiritual concern requires us to be spiritually minded and kingdom focused. Whether it's for ourselves or for others, it is only possible through the Spirit. See, Paul's been leading up each time we've studied to these new points. To say you can't get here until you start here, you've got to start thinking of yourselves lower. You've got to start thinking of the fellowship that the Spirit desires to pour into you. Think of Christ Jesus who gave up everything to come to earth to follow the Lord's way. This sincere concern is something awesome because it completely ignores what is material and focuses on what is spiritual. When we're, when we're where Paul is describing, when we've left our way, when we've focused on the Lord's way, then the things that are around us truly do become dim. The situations and the exceptions and the what-ifs have no value. Our world is saturated with invitations to worry. 
Our world is saturated with evil and hurt and suffering and pleasures and things and stuff. They are all aiming to draw us away from the things of God, to torment our insides for the enemy's purpose. I pray today that we would leave the things of this world, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen.
Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus.